It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello and good day to you. My name is Jonathan Sanborn and welcome to Counterculture. Thank you so much for tuning in and or pushing play on your podcast app or pressing 1360 Faith Talk on your radio station. Thank you so much for for listening. We've been so excited what God's been doing on this show, and I'm really excited about our guest today. We have here in studio Aubrey Barnwell, Pastor Aubrey Barnwell. Welcome, Aubrey. Thank you. Good to be here. It's so glad you're here. This glad is, to be here. He is the senior pastor of First New Life Missionary Baptist Church yes. in South Phoenix. Yes. You can drop the missionary if you'd like. You, is that is that not a thing anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a thing anymore. Oh, okay. You just normally go by First New Life now. First New Life? Okay, I like that. First New Life Church. So this is definitely not a new church. This is a church that's really had a long legacy in South Phoenix. Oh, yeah. About 60 years or more. Oh, my goodness. So Pastor Barnwell, Aubrey, right. uh, Aubrey's been a, the son of a preacher. Right. And took over for your father, correct? Correct. Uh, he pastored First New Life for about 40 years. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, as the show, we exist uh, counterculture because we want to find the bridge builders and the peacemakers in our city and in our state and even around the nation who are stepping out of their lane and kind of being counterculture. The way of Jesus really sets us at odds, really, with our overall culture because he calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to serve the needy. He calls us to build and lift up the what's good and beautiful and not just tear down. So the, I believe the way of Jesus is very countercultural, and I want to highlight those people on the show. And it's been so exciting in this journey. I get to meet, like, the coolest and best people in, in Arizona, and so I'm a little, you know, yeah, I kind of got it good. Yeah, so well. So before we kind of roll uh, into things, uh, we play this game just as we, to get to know you, Aubrey, is we call it fake news. Okay. Okay? Are you ready for fake news? I think I might be ready. <laughs> okay, good. So fake news is you say one thing that's true about yourself, and then you say something that is not true. And I try to guess which is fake. And I just I warned Aubrey that I'm at a 70% success rate, so I'm getting really cocky, and he needs to humble me today. It's his goal to humble me because he doesn't want me to be some really arrogant talk show host. <laughs> So, so give us two. So, I am a native Arizonan. Native Arizonan. Uh, born and uh, raised here. Okay, that's one. And uh, I uh, went to school um, in uh, California. Okay. So, so I have the advantage of looking at Aubrey face-to-face right now, and he looked away when he said the second fact. So, I think he did not go to school in California, and that's fake news. Wrong. Oh, thank you. Success. <laughs> Success. He, <laughs> he humbled me. He humbled me. Perfect. Yeah. So you, d- you did go to school in California. I did. We spent three years in California, as a matter of fact. Nice. Yes. And uh, um, my uh, father, in fact, um, well, it's an interesting fact. Um, my father was in the Air Force. Okay. And so uh, he was bivocational. Air and, Force and pastor. Correct. Okay. And so he was pastor in Phoenix. He got stationed in, El- in uh, Anaheim, California. Okay. 
So we lived in Anaheim, California for three years, and we traveled back and forth for three years across uh, uh, from Phoenix to California. Wow. Almost every other weekend. That's a lot of driving. <laughs> oh, my before, goodness. And it was before the 10 was in, so we had to go up through Blythe, up through Indi- uh, uh, Wickenburg. Before and, the 10. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So you probably just dated yourself by some <laughs> by like the 10. That's the interstate. I think I've always known the 10 to be wow, there. Okay, yes. No, we didn't have always had Wow. That's yes. real that's a great story. Yeah. So, well, that's really cool. That's why I love to find out. I would never have known if we hadn't played fake news. So, <laughs> so you the Lord has called you. I mean, you have been uh, you, you went to school in California. You also went to school in Chicago. Correct. That's why you threw me. You mentioned – I knew about <laughs> Chicago, but you got me on the California bit. Yes. Uh, and then you were you with an MBA and you st- and you worked for for 20 years in Chicago? Correct. Yes. I worked for Motorola. I worked for Sprint at the time. Okay. Yes. And uh, and was at a church, uh, uh, a church on the south side of Chicago, um, uh, growing church. Were you so, you were a, a, in a pastoral role? I was pastor of Christian education. Christian education yeah. at a school. Okay. And then yet the Lord called you to come back to to the lovely Arizona desert. Mm, yes. At yes. 120 degree heat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he definitely called me cuz yeah. I wouldn't be here otherwise. So what did the, the Lord called you into ministry? Is that so really did he was it back in to stay in in church or did he specifically you knew he wanted you to pastor in Arizona? It was a call to ministry. I knew that there was a call of ministry in my life. Yeah. Um, and I did not know. Once I had left here and went to Chicago to go to school, I uh, wrestled with ministry and what that meant. Um, I ended up uh, working for Sprint and for uh, Motorola for a number of years, mm-hmm. wrestled with the idea that I was supposed to be in full-time ministry. Right. I had no idea what that looked like. Um, I didn't think it was going to be traditional pastoring because within the African-American community, um, normally that the the path to full-time ministry was pastoring. Right. That's the only way to. And I had no idea. I had no intentions of being a pastor. I'd watched my father um, for all those years, and there was no way I was going to do that. (laughs) Um, So I had denounced it, denounced it, denounced it. I felt called to preach. Yeah. And so um, I followed that that call to preaching, um, and and, it led me into uh, being uh, brought on and ordained at a church in in in, uh, Chicago. Okay. Um, I was very— Active in that, we were doing a lot of outreach uh, in the community. It was at at a time where um, just before nine one one, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. And so we had just done some outreach in the community, and and so um, the Lord had touched my father, and my father called me and said, "Have you ever considered pastoring?" And I said, uh, "No." Yeah. He said, "Well, you know, you're you're in a role now." I said, "Yeah." He said. Uh, but have you ever considered pastoring First New Life? I said, it's still in Phoenix, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and he said, yeah. I said, no, I had not because no. I'm not okay. coming back to Phoenix. So, no, I had not. Uh-huh. He said, well, you may want to pray about that. No, I don't want to pray about that. Oh, oh, there we go. Once you, <laughs> we make those stands, <laughs> and uh, it start uh, to happen. Yes. And so um, I told my wife about it, and uh, we did eventually start praying in regard to that, and we received the answer that that's where we mm. were to go. To, so we ended up uh, um, uh, relocating back here mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, the first year assisting him, and then um, he retired, and then uh, I became senior. Okay. So one of the reasons well, – I mean, 
I've known Aubrey on a little bit on and off for about four or five years. Yes. Yeah. And where I see Aubrey the most, it seems to be around where the tr- where pastors are working in areas of mental health. Mm-hmm. And you have a strong interest in your church. Why are you so personally interested in this topic of mental health? It's an interesting journey that led me to to the mental health issue. Um, my own personal story is that um, I s- struggled with um, um, uh, codependency, mm-hmm. compulsive overeating, mm-hmm. and um, sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having come through that, I... Um, went through uh, Celebrate Recovery. So we have Celebrate Recovery at the church. Okay. And so having so people expl- come- Just explain Celebrate Recovery, just in a nutshell. Okay. Not everyone knows. Okay, Celebrate Recovery is the 12-step uh, program, uh, Christ-centered 12-step program um, for hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Um, mm-hmm. So for addictions, whether it be chemical or other uh, associated addictions. Okay. So walking through those 12 steps. Um, it was uh, a birth out of uh, um, Saddleback. But, okay. but so we, we instituted that when I came in. Um, my mother had a background in working through alcoholics. I'm not alcoholics. Uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Overeaters Anonymous. And so she walked through that. And she felt, she said, when I went to those meetings, she said, I felt like, um, she said, it felt like what the church was supposed to be. Mm. It was a place to be transparent and honest. She said, and I shared, and she said, and I left, and she said, those people didn't remember anything that I said. But I had an app- opportunity to be open and honest, and there mm-hmm. was no judgment. And she said, and I felt like that's what the church was supposed right, to right. be. So she always desired for that to be um, part of the uh, the congregation, to be a part of the church. Mm-hmm. And so when we brought Celebrate Recovery, that was revealed to her. From that, I began to recognize that there were those who were, and this is how we get to mental health, is that some of the behaviors were from traumatic experiences mm, yes. that people had had in their life, in their upbringing. Right. Um, and when we talk about mental health, um, sometimes we dis, uh, disassociate trauma from mental health issues. Right. Sometimes the trauma are the triggers for mental health. One of the, the things that we identify or conditions is PTSD. Okay. Um, I think they've changed it to PTSS now. But post-traumatic distress disorder. Okay. And now they call it post-traumatic distress um, syndrome. Syndrome. Okay. Disorder instead of disorder. Yeah. Okay. Or disorder. And so we find that it, it was triggered by having an experience that has really shifted your brain, shifted mm-hmm. your way you see things. And so you have these triggers that cause you to operate outside of what right. you would normally do. And, and, and knowing that and seeing that um, within the congregation, seeing people who had gotten past their addictions but were still struggling mm. um, and identifying individuals who were still um, dealing with depression yes. um, and dealing with um, all the things that go along with it. And then um, the challenge was is that we associated that with you're not spiritual enough. That's huge. And I, because we often use the language of, you know, every problem is, a, is sin and therefore you, it's a and choice. Yes. Then we get into huge amounts of guilt. Yes. And we don't necessarily – and we don't have the right diet. Yes, there is absolutely sin involved yes. in, in all this. But we miss so much of the language and the discussion by, by, by saying, oh, yes, addiction's wrong. Oh, you're addicted to this alcohol or pornography or food or something like that, and we—it's a judgment, and we miss the, where the the causes of the, the roots. Tri- yeah, exactly. Yeah, what triggered it? What, what triggered was the catalyst? It? What is the catalyst? Yeah, 
and and part of that so that's really how I started to deal with we had a young lady who came to our church and she showed up and uh, um, I could tell she was a little different Mm -hmm. and uh, so she came and once I think it was on a Wednesday and someone sat by her and they were asking her something or if you mm-hmm. know trying to be friendly and you know do you want to see the Bible or something and she just snapped at him she just went completely off and I said uh oh what's going on here yeah. and um, and so then I realized that she was she had some mental illness mm-hmm. um, I came to understand that she was bipolar okay but she continually keeps coming back to the church. The church, our church was a safe place for her. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, of the the mental illness, she finds herself in and out of jail, in and out of prison. Um, and she found herself, you know, her family didn't know how to deal with her because right. bipolar, um, there's some shame that goes along mm-hmm. with that, um, some stigma that goes sure. along with that. And so what I did was I learned how to just listen, mm-hmm. to love her where she was. Mm. She knew scripture. She would, she would, when she was, when she was in her um, uh, lucid state, if you will, um, that we would have discussions. She asked me questions as I was teaching and she, I mean, just really engaged. And I knew that the spirit of God was in her, but Mm -hmm. she had this physical issue, this physical Physical challenge. Uh And, and so when she took her meds, she was doing really well. And so, um, and she was desiring. That was, was the thing I could see. And I think when we see people's hearts, when we under people, right. she wanted to mm-hmm. do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think it could be easy to dismiss. If you're in a church where you feel like you want to grow and you want to have be a great place for families and, and or just you know a great, hear a great message, something like that, oftentimes these are the kind of people that really make or like <laughs> define who we are as a church, Correct. aren't they? Yes, definitely. Uh, are we a church that really gives grace? Uh, yes. understands that and uh, and judges are we a church that judges and dismisses people they might say they might be too difficult pastors don't want to d- spend the time with them right <laughs> you know? exactly maybe other people might be uncomfortable yet that's often where we have to live out our faith with is with these people because right. they're all all around yes they are and Everywhere. that's the thing yeah. and that's the thing is that within communities we have stigmatized that mm-hmm. um, condition mental health issues right. to the point where if you have them you don't even want right. to acknowledge that you have right. them because now you have this dismissal mm-hmm. um, that you're crazy yes and we say things that we don't – I don't think we really understand um, how impactful it is to someone who really suffers. Mm-hmm. Something like um, um, my crazy Uncle Joe. Yeah, yeah, right. Which says – nobody. Funny. Right. right. It sounds funny, but nobody wants to be identified as the crazy uncle or right. the crazy cousin right. um, because ultimately there are those who really have mental issues. And then when that stigma is used, when they become the brunt of the joke – um, what happens is is that we then cause people to go further and right. further into the hole, right? Right. Because they will not disclose that I'm having these issues. Mm. I hear voices. You know, yeah. That they will not sit because, sure. because I you don't get, want to be stigmatized. You would put in the category, put him in a box, and maybe just sort of quiet the, the soft the soft discrimination, so to speak, right. of Reject just, rejection. Yes. Wow. That's powerful. Yet, if you, you use the term physical problem. And I think that to me is really – I love that language because if someone came to your church and they had 
cancer, you we wouldn't put them in a box and set put them aside. Right. We say they need us, or even blame them or for blame having them. You don't blame them. Yet, it with mental illness, we which is also has so much uh, biology behind it, and even history that's happened to them, which is not their fault. Correct. We still we we can't just put them in that box. Correct. Right. Yes. So. Wow. So you know, if you're just tuning in, you're, we're having a great conversation. This is Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. We have in studio Aubrey Barnwell, pastor of First New Life Church, and so thank you. We can have this conversation. What is the church missing? I think we've sort of touched on, but how would you say what are we missing in this conversation about mental health? I think one of the things that's missing, first of all, is the magnitude of the problem. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that in the last 50 years, there's been a number of people who have been on antidepressants. Um, it has risen from 1.8% to 10%. 10% of, of people in the United States are on antidepressants. Which wow. means then that we are at a point where we are um, – 10% is a huge number yes. because you're not just dealing – here's the thing. You're not just dealing with those who are depressed. Right. You're dealing with the people who are depressed and who are parts of families right. who have to deal with someone who has depression. Right. So you've got traumatized families. Right. That's a great point. It isn't just 10%. It's really – could be 50% if, if – if, or more. <laughs> yes. If they aren't depressed, they know someone. Or maybe there's people probably who should be and aren't dealing with it because maybe of guilt. Maybe if they just felt like if the joy of the Lord was my strength, I wouldn't <laughs> be depressed, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Questioning their own relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and family members who are um, – feeling some stress behind it because now not only does this person feel depressed, but now what do I do to help them? Mm. How, how do I help them? And that's really where, where we find I, – I, um, my personal experience was I, it wasn't until I started dealing with this that I realized that I went through a whole year of depression. Mm. As did, a pastor. As a pa- this was actually as a child as a in child. a pastoral family. Yes, yeah. Christian home, mm-hmm. um, believed in Jesus, prayed regularly, went to church regularly. But I was depressed for a whole year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize why I was depressed. And we had a number of individuals within our congregation who had been uh, – who had uh, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And so a number of women who had uh, been killed by their husbands uh, and husbands who had been killed by wow. their wives because of domestic violence. Wow. And I didn't realize that that was trigger for me. Mm. Uh, I went to counseling and they were talking about PTSD and that, that part of what, what I had experienced going through yes. it. Um, this one year, um, I ended up not wanting to sleep in my bed. I could mm. not sleep in my bed. For whatever reason, it didn't feel safe. So I slept on the floor. You slept on the floor. For a whole year. Wow. And here's the yeah. thing that was challenging. Mm-hmm. No one ever asked me, why are you sleeping on the floor? Interesting. Huh. No one ever asked me, and if if they had asked me, I probably would have articulated the fear and anxiety mm. that I was feeling mm-hmm. in the bed. Right, and and so for a whole year that went on, and I didn't know what was going on until many years later, and says you were going through depression, depression ca- caused by connection to different knowledge of uh, instance of domestic violence. Right. And and all of the death and funerals, you know, funeral after funeral, right. and all of the, you know, everything that goes with grieving, and and so, right. I don't know what to do as a child. I don't know what to do with this. I yeah. don't know what to do with this grief. No. 
No. Um, where, where do I place this? Right. This is outside of my my scope. Uh, I don't have language for it. And normally the child in, in, in grieving situations, normally the child is the one no one really it's, they're looking at the spouse, they're looking right. at the mothers, and but they don't really look at the child. Right. Yeah. And because they, they might not be processing it verbally in the same way, like I, you know, but they're just they're just respond they're just responding with fear or tra- with trauma. Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's well. That's interesting because this isn't just some concept. This, this wouldn't it be nice if the church cared for mental health yes. and there's a crisis. Yes. This is personal for you. Yes. And, uh, and I've said this before on the show, but we are often – God often calls us to the places where we have received the wounds ourselves. Right. And the place – and we can be most useful as a, in a sense as a wounded healer in the lives of other people because you've been there. You've been on that journey. You've, you, it's not just an issue. It's personal. And so, yeah, fantastic. I thank you for sharing that so much. And so this now isn't just – this is partly who you are, but it also reflects the culture of your church. Correct. So tell me in what ways that your church has this sort of sensitivity or an openness to – we we launched our mental health ministry about two years ago, okay. and so um, and with the intention of doing this of caring for and supporting individuals and families mm-hmm. in that, and so we identified those specifically that we can address. Um, we need individuals who have gone through it, who have experienced some healing, mm-hmm. who can then go back to help others. Um, that was one of the things the young lady I talked about. Um, she is she keeps coming back. We had to learn how to mm. embrace her. Um, we went to speak with her family. Yes. Actually and met, met her family. And so they, they, the family wasn't attending the no, church, they but you went not. out of your way to – Yes, to connect with them because she would act out at the house, mm-hmm. act out at home. And, and so they put her out. Um, they loved her. Sure. Um, of course they loved her, but th- what, what do we do with this? And let them know we're here with you. You're not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're with you. So really caring for families. And so um, we do that. We also then identify how we can help with practical needs. Mm. And practical needs sometimes are, are actually essentials. Um, it's a place to to come. It's a place of peace. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we have is we had a prayer, a twenty four hour prayer center is closed because of COVID right now. But I found that there were many who were mentally uh, challenged, who was going through anxiety and depression, and all that stuff, who found the prayer center a place of peace, of refuge, wow. if you will. Right. And so that was a practical thing we could do. We didn't have to have a whole lot of things in there. Just, it was it was just a, a place that was peaceful. So you mentioned your mother's journey, like going to like AA or some, and saw and how the church oh, should right, be right. more like, oh yeah, uh, Overeating uh, um, over Anonymous, and how that was a safe place. Do you Correct. create any kind of dynamic within this like mental health ministry where there's just a where open dialogue and questions to bring out a support groups? Support groups. We have done that. We uh, we started a, a training, and that was part of what uh, launched us into mental health ministry. Yeah, is to have those support groups, grief. Um, because grief is a, a really big um, trigger yes. for anxiety mm-hmm. and depression, and so we did. Ha- we have a, gr- uh, a grief group. We started that. Okay. Um, we started looking at um, some of the other uh, areas. We have what I just we just launched what we call Bob Talk. Um, Bob Talk is is um, what we call is um, taking from Galatians, bearing one another's burdens, and that is speaking to each uh, each individual. Um, in regards to helping them, we have just a 
conversation, mm. just a conversation about life and about anxiety and about just real life issues where we find people don't have a chance to actually talk about oh, it. Yeah. Um, and just talking about some practical things like meditation. Yeah. Um, taking time out. Um, I talk about a continuum of 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 care. Okay. There are some who need a uh, a, a weekly Bible study is enough, but there are some who need much more, more than that. They need more interaction and more mm. touches. I think when we talk about the number of touches that an individual um, needs, it's based on where they are. So it's really on an individual basis. So knowing those things and and being able to have individuals who are specifically trained. To assist in that area, because one of the things that that I found is is that um, if I don't know how to minister, I had to teach when she came in, when she would come yeah. to church, the the, the ushers, um, greeters, our first impression um, individuals would have to know how to deal with her. And one of them took offense because she, yeah. she I said, so, so that was part of the process. So. Um, knowing those things are important, I think, as we think about how the church. I can love that. You, this isn't just a nice intention. This is what you put a lot of uh, like feet to this. What a great discussion! I have so appreciated you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I, Aubrey's got his hands in like a whole bunch of different things that we didn't even get into, and I love how he wants to serve and work with others. And so, again, Pastor Barnwell, this has been. A great conversation. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, and you've, you're welcome back anytime. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org.